This is The Guardian. Hello, this is Max Rushton from The Guardian Football Weekly. I hope you're enjoying your other Guardian pod. And look, you've read 58 articles now and you're still not contributing. So why not come to our live tour? Uh, We're in Leeds on the 13th of June, Birmingham on the 15th, Manchester on the 19th, Glasgow on the 13th of July. The panellists are brilliant. Uh, Me and Barry are getting away with it, but they're really fun occasions and uh, we'd love you to come. A few tickets remaining for some, lots of tickets remaining for others, no tickets remaining for others. Don't know why, that's just we're popular in Dublin and not in Birmingham. But please come along, myticket.co.uk. You can get your tickets at myticket.co.uk. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week he has a candid conversation with guests, including Prime Ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. If you're listening from the UK, you might have already heard about a big review that came out last week on tackling the smoking epidemic. The government wants fewer than 5% of people in England to smoke by 2030, but that would require drastic action. One of the recommendations that caught everyone's attention was raising the age of sale from 18 by one year every year, until no one can buy a tobacco product, something that New Zealand is already planning to do. But there was another recommendation, a little further down the list, almost passed unnoticed. It was addressing smoking and mental health. It's a big group of smokers that don't really get discussed much. But in England, one in three cigarettes is smoked by somebody with a mental health condition. So why is there this link between smoking and our mental health? And what can we do to break it? From The Guardian, I'm Madeline Finlay. And this is Science Weekly. Dr 
Dr Gemma Taylor, you're an epidemiologist at the University of Bath and you're also a research fellow at Cancer UK and you took part in this review and you were looking at the relationship between smoking and mental health. So give me a sense of how significant this link is. What do we know about how many people with mental health issues smoke? So if you look historically, since I think about the 1970s now, in the general population, what we see is about smoking was around 50%. And now it's gone down to 15%. But then in people with mental health problems, it's stayed at around that mark. So it depends on the type of illness that you're looking at. So for example, in people with schizophrenia, smoking rates are at around 44%. In people with depression and anxiety, it's around 30%. So we're doing a really good job at helping people without mental health problems quit smoking. But what we're not doing is helping people with mental health problems quit smoking. That's quite a significant difference. Thinking about it in its most sort of basic way, there is this idea that smoking relieves stress and having a mental health condition is very stressful, it's very hard. And I really understand why, you know, you would look for any kind of stress relief that might be around you. And so do you think it's this idea that is maybe driving people to smoke when they have a mental health condition? Sure. So the tobacco companies have done a really good job at infiltrating into society that uh, smoking is a stress reliever. You know, you go back to when they were allowed to advertise, they would do lots of different types of advertising campaigns around the mental health benefits of smoking. And it's nested throughout society. You know, you, you, you put on the movies and there's pictures of people who, who smoke when, when they're stressed out, uh, when someone's thinking they smoke. But what we found is actually the opposite is true. There are initial rewarding effects of tobacco, but the brain gets very quickly used to these. And then essentially what happens is you're constantly in a state of withdrawal. And being in a state of withdrawal isn't going to make you feel good. And it's probably not going to be good for your mental health. So actually, we've kind of got this upside down, this idea that smoking is a stress relief, actually it's giving up smoking that's going to make you feel better. Yeah, definitely. So we've done two systematic reviews on this now. And what we found is that when people quit smoking, it was associated with mental health improvements. And we saw this in symptoms of anxiety, symptoms of depression, uh, psychological quality of life improved, stress reduced, positive feelings. So things like happiness, satisfaction, all those types of things improved. The benefits from quitting smoking could be as large as taking antidepressants. I mean, another line of research that goes into that is when you look at the opposite association. So if you look at does smoking cause poor mental health? Um, and in these studies, we found that there was a strong association uh, between smoking causing poor mental health rather than the reverse being true. Though we did see it in the reverse as well, but the association was much stronger. Okay, so we know that quitting smoking is going to improve your mental health, but also that smoking damages your mental health in the first place. But do we have a sense of why that is and what's going on physically in the brain and the body to cause that effect? We know the physical health route, right? So we know that smoking damages the lungs, damages the circulation system, stops oxygen from getting to organs like the lungs, the heart, et cetera, and lots of other nasty physical health effects. And then that's the mechanism to get cancer or heart disease or whatever. You know, we really need more information around how smoking damages the brain. So what we've hypothesized is that it's through neurotransmitters pathways. 
what smoking does is it interacts with uh, neurotransmitter systems that they can't function properly. Then what happens is you experienced increased um, periods of low mood, anxiety, etc. We know that smoking causes inflammation in the body. This could also affect the brain and mood. If you're a health professional and you've got somebody in front of you who's coming with a mental health problem and perhaps it's a serious one, whether they've got schizophrenia or maybe they're feeling suicidal, you're not going to be thinking about helping them stop smoking. You're going to be focused on making sure that they're safe and helping them to feel better in the short term. And so I wonder... Does this mean that smoking gets put on the back burner a lot of the time? And, you know, in an understandable way that this isn't at the forefront of health professionals' minds when they are faced with a patient who has a mental health problem? I guess the approach to treating mental health problems should be holistic. You can't just give people medicine and, and send them on their way. That That's not how it works. And that's not how mental health improves. Addressing other things like social inequalities, psychological well-being and psychological requirements, uh, social support structures, all of these things need to be part of a mental health package. Uh, we've just done a, a survey of healthcare professionals across the UK, and we saw that a large proportion of healthcare professionals um, claimed that uh, in some circumstances, they would wait to treat smoking until uh, people's mental health improved. But what we know is that mental health is a it's a long term condition for many people. It's something that they'll uh, learn to manage throughout their lives. You know, something like diabetes, it's a long term health condition. You learn to manage it. And mental health is very similar. So there's almost no point in intervening with someone's smoking when their mental health improves, because that might not ever be. And we have no evidence that intervening with smoking during someone experiencing worse mental health, that that will worsen their mental health. If you put smoking cessation treatments into uh, services that are built for dealing with mental health, assessing mental health risk is part of their role. You know, if people are concerned about quitting smoking and the impact that might have on their mental health, you can help them with that in the right setting and you can also monitor risk. Thinking about this from a patient perspective, if you're already experiencing mental health symptoms, whether it's low mood or anxiety, surely this is going to make giving up smoking a much harder process. Yes, it's going to be harder to quit. They'll experience withdrawal symptoms from tobacco, which are very similar to mental health symptoms. But with the right support, we can get someone through that. And then at the other end of that, there is improved mental health. In the Khan report, the recommendation suggests that the government should be disseminating accurate information that smoking doesn't reduce stress and anxiety through public health campaigns and staff training. And that's what you've been talking about, getting that information out there. But I mean, I found that quite surprising. Do people really not know that smoking is bad for you in this way? I mean, when you look at the stats, it looks as if people with mental health conditions do, by and large, already want to give up. They know it's bad for them. Mm -hmm. That's right. So most people want to quit. And this is, again, why it's a social justice issue. This isn't a free will issue. People are addicted to tobacco against their will. They want to quit and it's killing them. You know, we've been taught 
over decades now that smoking is good for your mental health, but it takes it takes a while to shift culture. Um, but it to me, it doesn't make sense that smoking can destroy every single organ in your body, but benefit your mental health at the same time. That makes absolutely no sense. You don't have mental health without physical health. You don't have physical health without mental health. So there's no way that that smoking can be selectively benefiting the mind while destroying the lungs, the heart, the circulatory system. I mean, when you put it like that, it does suddenly seem completely obvious. And so in an ideal world, what else would you like to see happen? What would be the kind of ideal situation for helping to break this link between smoking and mental health? We need national campaigns around the benefits of quitting, integrating smoking cessation treatment into mental health services, into other secondary care services. We also need training for NHS staff. So, you know, so smoking is, it's every health healthcare professional's responsibility, even through something small, like very brief advice. And if you look into the con report, there's a nice outline of what very brief advice looks like. If every healthcare professional used this intervention to help people quit smoking, the health services would save 9.4 billion and uh, there'd be an additional 15 billion pound saving to wider society. Gosh, that's a very big amount of money for a very small change. Gemma, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks again to Gemma Taylor. We've put a link to the Khan Review on the podcast webpage at theguardian.com. And that's it for today. The producer was me, Madeleine Finlay. The sound design was by Tony Onachuku. And the executive producer was Lorna Stewart. We'll be back on Thursday. See you then. This is The Guardian. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week, he has a candid conversation with guests, including prime ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. 